is a life-changing message brought to you by Fellowship of Champions Church International, located in Conway, Arkansas. Listen now as Pastor Sean Strickland teaches you to walk in love, live by faith, and experience God's prosperity in every area of your life. Let's go to John 10 and 10. We're going to start with John 10 and 10. Somebody shout, I love the word. Hallelujah. I love the word. You say, I mean, I don't love the word now. Then confess it by faith. And the more you hear the word, the more you'll love the word. Amen. John 10 and 10. When you have it, say amen. If you don't have it, just say hold up. Amen. John 10 and 10. When you have it, we're going to read it together. Ready? Let's read. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Amen. So we, who said that? How do we know he said it? Praise God for red ink. Amen. It says that we so, so it's the will of God for us to manifest um, abundance. Amen. Well, let's define what abundance is. Okay. Abundance means over and above. More than is necessary, super added, extraordinary, and uncommon. I'll say that again for you. Abundance means over and above, more than is necessary, super added, extraordinary, and uncommon. So what does that mean? That means that when I look around at people's lives and I see the person with the most uncommon lives, believers ought to live more uncommon. Amen? When I look in the world and I see people with an extraordinary life, believers ought to live the most extraordinary lives. Amen? Do, oh, I don't think I have anybody in here who believes that. The Bible says that he came that we might have life and have it more abundantly, which means that our lives should look better than anybody in the world. Now, somebody say amen to that. Now, you got to understand that because if you don't have an expectation for that, then you're going to be tapped out where you are. And who wants to be tapped out where they are? Nobody wants to be tapped out where they are. So you have to get an expectation of what Jesus had in mind when he said that he came that you might have the abundant life. It's an uncommon life. It's an extraordinary life. Our health ought to look better than anybody in the world. Amen. Our finances ought to look better than anybody in the world. Amen. Our marriages ought to look better than anybody in the world. So our divorce statistics shouldn't look like their divorce statistics because we live the abundant life. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to the Lamb. Now, in order to get this uncommon life, you have to use faith. Somebody say faith. Because if you don't use faith, because faith is uncommon to the world. Faith doesn't think, the world doesn't stop to think about what's pleasing to God. They don't stop to consider what God would have them to do. They do what feels good. They're like Burger King. They say, let's have it your way. But we're not like that. Amen. We're people of faith. Now, the Bible says that in order to please God, we got to do two things when we come to him, Hebrews 11. It says that we have to know that he is. And number two, we have to know that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So in this simplest form, faith is nothing more than knowing that God is who he says he is and he will do what he said he will do. Say God is who he says he is and he'll do what he said he will do. Now, that's faith. Faith is knowing that God is who he says he is and he will do what it is he says he will do. Now let's go to 2 Corinthians 5 and 7.
2 Corinthians 5 and 7. You have it? Ready? Let's read. All right, we're going to stop because everybody wasn't there yet. Oh, everybody wasn't there. They're still turning. Because it's important that you see this because you need to know what the faith walk is, not based on what somebody said to you, but based on what the Word of God says. Amen? So, everybody got it? Second Corinthians 5 and 7? Ready? Let's read. So, how do we walk? And not how? So how do we walk? And what's faith? So I, my faith is believing that God is who he says he is and he's going to do what he says he's going to do. And that's how I walk, right? So if I go to the doctor and the doctor gives me a negative report, I got a choice of who I'm going to believe. I can walk by what the doctor says or I can walk by faith. The Bible says that by his stripes, I'm already healed. I'm not trying to get healed. I'm not waiting on healing to show up, but I am already healed. So when my body is hurting, I have a choice of what I'm going to say. I'm either going to say I'm trying to get my healing. This is what the doctor said, or I'm going to say, no, I command my body to line up with the word of God for my life which says that I am already healed amen hallelujah now here's the problem the problem is is that we have become proficient in walking according to our senses and not the word of God we become proficient at walking according to the world system and not the word of God. And so we come and we hear that God wants to be good to us and he wants us to manifest abundance and he wants to fix our marriage and he wants to change our relationships and he wants us to have good relationships with our kids and all of these things. But then we go back and we look at the way we see things and we agree with what we see. Tell your neighbor, say, but that's not walking by faith. Walking by faith is making the decision that when God says something, that's the final authority. And, when, and, and, and I find out what God said first. I don't find out what God said once I get so deep in the situation. Then you know what we say sometimes? We say, well, I'm, I might as well see what God got to say about this. No, I'm going to find out what God says first because that's what a faith walker does. I'm going to see what God has to say about the situation. I'm going to line up with the situation regardless to how I feel. Amen? Amen. Tell your neighbor, say, walking by faith is not always easy, but there's always a reward. Now, see, you ought to say that again because you need to understand it's not always easy, but there's always a reward. Because sometimes you really do want to say how bad you hurting, but you understand that that ain't what God said. So you just go ahead and say what God said. Sometimes you really do want to say how broke you are, but you realize that saying how broke you are don't get you no more money. So you might as well say that God supplies all of my needs according to his riches and glory. Hallelujah. Amen. Third John 2. He says, beloved above all things, I wish that you would what? prosper somebody shout prosper he says beloved above all things i wish that you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers now your soul is where your mind your will and your emotions are contained your intellect and your imagination so until you do some work on your soul your prosperity is going to be limited if you don't do some work on your soul now let me tell you something about about prosperity you can't shout prosperity in you can't lay hands on prosperity in. You got to do something with your thinking. Well, why do I say that? Because even if you can sow seeds and believe God for the double, if the way you see money go in and out of your life is that you spend every dime you got, when you get the double, you'll just spend it all. 
Even if you get to the point that you can believe for supernatural increase and people walk up to you and hand you thousands of dollars, if your mind is still set and we spend everything that we have and we don't have enough at the end of the month, no matter how much you get, you won't have enough. So you got to do something with your thinking. Amen? Now, Romans 12 and 2, we won't go there. You know this one, too. It says, be transformed how? By the renewing of your mind. So I don't get transformed because I buy some new shoes. And I don't even get transformed because I go to a new church. Because just because you go to a word of faith church don't make you a word of faith person. Any more than standing in the garage makes you a car. Anybody ever stood in a garage? Did that make you a car? And going to a word of faith church doesn't make you a faith person. You get to be a faith person because you renew your mind and you hear what God is saying until you're so fully convinced about what God has said that you don't even notice what your circumstances are saying anymore. Amen? What does it mean to prosper? To prosper means to be led in a direct and easy way. Now, let me just throw this out here for you guys. You may have never thought about this like this before, but if you are having to guess what your next move is, you're operating under the curse. If you're having to guess what your next move is, you're operating under the curse because it's the will of God for you to know his plan for you. It's the will of God for you to hear the Lord and to be able to follow him. So if you don't know your next move, you're operating under the curse. But praise God, we're going to show you. You can go over to Galatians 3. We can look at this. Galatians 3 and 13. You got it? It says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse from for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Amen? Now, you can work these principles all you want to, but if you don't learn how to hear from the Holy Spirit, you're still going to be operating under the curse. So he says, We've been redeemed from the curse. Shout, I'm redeemed. Now, this is so important because if you understand what happened, if you go back, if you want to know what the heart of God is, all you got to do is read Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 1 and 2 reveals the heart of God. God creates a man. He gives that man authority, dominion, and power. He gives that man all of the provision that he needs, and he tells that man, go duplicate what you see in here. Now, in chapter 3, we have a sin problem that shows up. And the problem with sin is that sin did three things. It separated you from three things about God. It separated you from God's presence, his power, and his provision. Now, think about it. Because all that, before, before there was sin, they walked in the earth, and, and he met them in the cool of the day, fellowship with them, gave them instruction, told them what they should do. If they had a question, they could get an answer. But when sin came, they were separated from the presence of God, which caused them to be separated from the power of God, which caused them to be separated from the provision of God. And what began to happen then is that men began to think that they had to work for their provision. Now, in order to live at another level, you got to eat at another level. You got to think at another level. Say, I am not designed to work for my provision. Now, let me just throw this up front. I did not say you were not designed to work. Because we all have a kingdom assignment. Say, I have a kingdom assignment. 
but you were not designed to work for your food. If you go back to Genesis and one, Genesis one, you will find that Adam and Eve had food and they got food even before they had an assignment, even before they were shaping animals and stuff, because God is a good God. He's a father and his desire is to take care of you, but you got to be transformed out of your thinking. Amen. Let's go to um, Genesis 3 and 18. Let's look at this. Let's see what happened. Amen. Let's, I'm going to start with verse 16. I'm going to read out of the Amplified. He said, to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your grief and your suffering in in pregnancy and the pangs of childbearing. With spasms of distress, you will bring forth children. Yet your desire and craving will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened and given the heed to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded of you, saying, you shall not eat of it. The ground is under a curse because of you, and in sorrow and toil shall you eat of the fruits of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, and for dust you are, and for dust you shall return. Tell your neighbor, say, that is the curse. But we just read in Galatians 3 that what? That you're what? So the Bible says that when Adam sinned, there was a curse that was released, and that curse said that man had to toil. Well, let's talk about what toiling is, because some of you are going to be able to relate to this. Toiling is exhausting labor or effort, hard and continuous work, producing very little benefit. Anybody ever been there before? Let me give you an example of being there. You work all week. You get somebody eight hours every day, and you get your check, and it ain't enough to pay your bill. Tell your neighbor, say, that's toiling. Tell your neighbor, say, but I've been delivered from toil. Now, see, you got to get your faith up about this, because if you don't get your faith up, you'll just get excited, but you won't have an expectation that there was a way for you to live above toil. Say, I was not created to toil. Hallelujah. So what are we looking at here? What do we need to understand? We need to understand that poverty is the result of sin. There was no poverty before there was sin. But you've been redeemed from poverty and you've been redeemed from sin. So just like you believe that when you came to Jesus and accepted him as your personal savior, that you no longer had to stand before him in judgment and go to hell, you ought to also make a demand that no longer will you work and not have anything to show for it. No longer will you toil and not have anything to produce from it. No longer will you spend all your days working at a job that you hate because you were not designed to toil. Say, I was not designed at all. Hallelujah. Let's look at 1 John 3. Shout, I love the word. Now, see, you can understand why the enemy will try to do everything he can to get you from studying the word. Because he'll keep you broke in every area of your life. Now, particularly this morning, we're talking about finances. Pastor Sean, why are we talking about finances? Because we're in a recession. Because people get divorced. Because they don't have money. Most people get divorced because they don't have money. Because you could put up with some of that other stuff if you had some money. 
Amen. You come home hitting your kids all hard because you ain't got no money. They asked to go to McDonald's. You yelling and screaming because you ain't got no money. You mad at your husband because he got sick. Because if y'all don't work, y'all don't, he don't get money. That's not how you were designed to live. You taking a job that you hate because they got insurance benefits. That's not how you were designed to live. 1 John 3, verse 8. It says, He that committed sin is of the devil, for the devil sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Turn to your neighbor say, Poverty is a work of the devil. And in Christ, it's been destroyed. Hallelujah. Let's go to Luke 4 and 16. I love the word. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, see, some of you go get excited. Some of you not go get excited because you think too much. But some of you gonna get excited because you're gonna be like in the, in reality, if God don't help me, I'm gonna fail anyway. Some of you done already figured it out. Some of you think still think you intelligent enough to work your own way out the situation. All right. Everybody in Luke four, verse eighteen. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the who? All right, let's look, let's look at it again because I want everybody to see it. It says, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Who is saying this? How we know. That's right. Jesus is saying, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to who? It says, he sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and the recovering of the sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, what you need to understand is that until Jesus came, the people had to wait every 50 years to get set free from their debt. That was called the acceptable year of the Lord. It was also called the year of Jubilee. He says, guess what? He says, today, that 50th year is come. And every time you read it, it's come. It's been fulfilled in your in your hearing. It says you no longer have to wait seven years for bankruptcy to wipe you out. You no longer have to wait 50 years for it to be wiped out. He says this day, now look at this, because, because he says it somewhere else too. He says it in Matthew 11 and 5. Everybody got Matthew 11 and 5? Come on, because we need to run a little faster today. Matthew 11 and 5. It says, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have what? The poor have the word preached to them. Now he says, he preached the gospel to the poor. What was the message that he preached? He said, poor folks. You ain't got to be poor no more. Now look at this. This is very interesting. It says the blind people, he gave them sight. 
The people who couldn't walk, he strengthened their legs. The people that couldn't hear, he opened up their ears. He said, but to the man that was poor, what did he do? He preached the word to him. Teenagers say, I don't need a handout. I just need some word. No, 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 no. See, you ought to say that to them. No, no, no. Say, I don't need a handout. I just need some word. Say, I don't need a stimulus package. I already got one. The word is my stimulus package. Hallelujah. Now I want you to think about this. Now poor people, they're hungry. They can't pay their bills. They're struggling in every area. But Jesus didn't take out and start handing them money. He said, if you're poor, you need the word. Why? Because even if I give you money and you don't change your thinking, you're going to live the same way. So you need a word. Number one, you need to know it ain't my will for you to be broke. Hallelujah. Shout, I'm redeemed. Hallelujah. Let's go to Deuteronomy 8 and 18. Shout, I'm redeemed. Now, you got to stir your faith up about this. I don't want this to be something that you just hear and you get excited about and you go home today and you keep tolerating poverty. You got to stop tolerating poverty. Oh, Pastor and I ain't poor. Well, let me define poor for you. According to 2 Corinthians, the ninth chapter, you should have enough to give to every good work. If you don't have enough to give to every good work, now that, that, that's God's standard. All right, I told you to go to Deuteronomy 18, but I'm going to talk about Isaiah 5 while we're there. I mean, Isaiah 55. In Isaiah 55, it says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways. So, so tell your neighbor, say, we got to come up in our thinking. Now, I tell this story a lot. I, it's actually not my original story, but I heard it from somebody, and it's a great example of how we're not always thinking the way God is thinking, which is why we need the Holy Spirit to bring us up to God's level. The Bible also says this, and you need a preacher. Tell your neighbor, say, you need a preacher. Because you can't increase your faith unless you got a preacher. Amen? That's what the Bible says. It says faith comes by hearing, but how they go hear unless somebody preach it? And somebody got to preach you something that ain't comfortable where you are. Something got, somebody got to preach something that's up here that makes you jump up from where you are. You don't need nobody to preach to you that you can barely make it. You already know that. You need somebody to preach to you that it's the will of God for you to prosper, be in hell, have more than enough. All right, the story is this. A businessman went over to um, one of the Middle Eastern countries, and he did some work over there. And when he did some work for the king, and when he got through doing work for the king, the representatives came to him, and he said to him, he says, we, the king wants to give you a gift. And he says, no, no, my compensation is fine. I don't need a gift. And he says, no, 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 the king will be offended if you don't accept the gift. Tell your neighbor, say, you offend the king when you don't accept the gifts. So he goes on and he says, oh, what do I want? What do I want? What do I want? He says, fine. He says, get me a golf club. He says, a golf club? He says, yes, get me a golf club. So he flies back to the United States. He goes about his day. He goes about his life. He goes about his week. A couple of months pass, and somebody pulls up to his door, and they're in a limousine. And they come and they knock at the door. He says, Mr. So-and-so, yes. He says, I'm a representative of the king for so-and-so. He says, yes. He said, I've come to take you to your golf club. 
Now, see, some of you didn't even get that. See, he was thinking a nine iron, but the king was thinking a whole golf club with greens and a clubhouse. See, you understand, you thinking, can I just get my water bill paid? The Lord is thinking, I want to pay everything you got and some. I want to give you enough to be a blessing to somebody else. But as long as you're down here and loaded by thinking, just being satisfied with your water bill being paid and able to go to the clearance rack at Walmart, you're never going to live to another level of living because you got to have your faith stretch you got to increase somebody shout increase so i got to make sure that my thinking is in line with what god is thinking amen deuteronomy 8 and 18 are you there well i'm not hold on deuteronomy 8 and 18 He says, but thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that has given thee the power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he sware to his fathers as it is this day. He says, all right, the Lord has given us the power to get wealth. The power is blessing. Say, the Lord has blessed me to get wealth. Turn to your neighbor there and say, the Lord has blessed me to get wealth. Now, the reason I keep having you say this out loud is because faith comes by hearing. And the more you hear it, the more it becomes real on the inside of you. He says, the Lord has blessed you. He says, don't forget the Lord because he has blessed you to get wealth. But that word get doesn't mean get. It means create. He said, the Lord has blessed you to create wealth. Say, I'm blessed to create wealth. Now, let me just mess with your thinking a little bit here. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Say, God knows I need things. It does not come as a shock to God that you need things. Now, now if we just talk about uh, understanding how God thinks, when, when we think need, when you think need, what do you think? What do, when you hear the word need, when somebody say they need something, what, what does that mean to you? Basics, right? Well, when God says need, he thinks of everything that would allow you to live in life at the level that he's called you to live it at. Amen? Now, see, somebody ought to say law on that because you thinking, oh, I just, what you need. God said, when I think need, you think I need a, a house. The Lord say, you need furniture too. So it's not just that I need the bare basics, the bare minimum. I need something to eat, so I'll take some Raymond new. The Lord said, no, 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 no. He said, when I think about need, I think about the desires of your heart. I think about the desires of my heart. I, I just, I, I want to deal with some of this because I know you've been taught some of this in church. I know some of you heard, you know, that money is the root of all evil. Money is not the root of all evil. But the lack of money has made a lot of people commit crimes. Suicide. You know, people say, well, we don't need to be talking about money. We do, because if you read what's going on in the news, the people who are going home and killing their whole families, not, they're not killing their whole families because they got sickness in their body. They're killing their whole family because they lost their job, because they don't get that there's another way for them to live outside of a job. Hallelujah. All right, he says, so he's given us, he's blessed me to get wealth, to create wealth. And when I was studying this, I, me and Pastor Edwin talked about this, and I was saying, typically when we talk about create wealth, here's where our minds go to. Our minds say, what can I do to make money? Now, is that true? If I say to you, you need to create wealth, what do you start thinking? 
What, what can I do to create wealth? Now, but you got to remember, the Bible says to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So then what happens is, is that because people believe that they need to create wealth, and you do need to create wealth, but you just need to know the right way to create it. He says that you need to create wealth. So now when you ought to be studying your words, you out there searching and trying to find out a way to make some money. So you looking at this pyramid scheme and you looking at this and what business can you get in for $29.99? And how many jobs can you work? And if you work it for seven years, what can you do? Let me tell you something. Most of the people I know who work two jobs have been working two jobs for over 10 years. And they know better off because working two jobs is not the solution to your problem. Tell your neighbor, say, I was not designed to work two jobs. The kingdom of God is not about moonlighting. Amen. So he says, I've given you the power to create wealth. So we start, we start thinking. We say, what can I do to make money? Well, I'm so glad. You, now ask me, say, what can I do to make money? I'm so glad you asked. Go to Genesis 1. Because we've got to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Hey, I'm telling you now, that's just like this. If you go to England, if you go to England right now and you drive on the same side of the street that you're driving in America, you go hit somebody and do some damage. Now, you may be a good person, but you're going to still hit somebody and do some damage. Being a good person will not get you the blessings that God has set forth. you got to know the principles, you got to believe the principles, and you got to obey the principles. Amen? All right, Genesis 1. Verse 11, this is so good. We're being transformed. Now let me stop over and read this. Am I telling you that you don't have ideas in you that make wealth? That's not what I'm telling you. I'm telling you that you need to know how God increases you and understand that whatever ideas or desires, you want to be a teacher, you want to be an engineer, that those things were never designed for you to make money. Those things were designed to give you a place in the world to be able to bring others to him. That's why he says some people, some people got a desire to be a dancer. Other people want to be in retail. Somebody wants to be a teacher. Somebody wants to be a lawyer. God put those desires in you because he needs you in a certain place in order to bring people to him. But you need to understand the kingdom of God is fair to everybody who works it. So if God calls me to be a housewife and God calls you to be a CEO, it would be unjust for God not to have a way that we can live at the same level because I'm fulfilling my assignment just like you're fulfilling your assignment. So it's got to be something else than me just going and working for a paycheck. I got to know how God does things so I can get involved. And if I can understand how God does things, guess what? See the devil, I mean listen, all the stuff you learn in church is just designed to make you stupid. I'll give you a great example. The Lord works in mysterious ways. Well if it's mysterious, you can't figure it out, right? The Lord works in mysterious ways to people that don't have the Holy Ghost. First Corinthians says this, I have given you my spirit so that you would know the things that have been freely revealed to me. If you just think about it, if you just, I mean, you ain't even got to use spiritual sense. If you just use a little common sense, wouldn't it be dumb of you to go home today and punish your child for not washing the dishes? And you never told them they were supposed to wash the dishes. And that would just be dumb. Would that be dumb? So if God is mysterious and he punishes people for things that they don't even know that they were supposed to do, 
then what would that make God? Now, you don't nobody want to say it. Don't nobody want to say it. But if you dumb for going home and jumping on your kid for not, then that would make him dumb. And how many of you know that God is not dumb? Now, what's dumb is religion. And what's dumb is the devil, but God is not dumb. Amen. Let's go to Genesis 1, verse 11. Tell your neighbor, say, I ain't got to be broke no more. I know it's better English to say that in it. I don't have to be poor anymore. But it sounds much better to say, I ain't got to be broke no more. I ain't got to be broke no more. Let's see, you ought to say that with some, you know, some, I I mean, if you're tired of being broke, you ought to be like, that is right. I ain't got to be broke no more. You ought to be rolling your neck and popping your shoulder. I ain't got to be broke no more. Well, if you guys don't do it quite like that. Right, don't do it like that. All right, Genesis 1, verse 11. What does it say? It says, And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after its kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. All right? Now, let's flip over to verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all of the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Tell your neighbor, say, I have dominion over all the creeps in the earth. Now see, you ought to be excited about that. You got dominion over all the creeps. Hallelujah. You don't sound excited, but I'm excited. I have dominion over all the creeps in the earth. Hallelujah. I'm not moved by the creeps in the earth because I have dominion over all the creeps. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image, and in the image of God created he, him, male and female, he created them. Hallelujah. This is for women too. Glory to God. So what I'm about to tell you, you ain't got to wait till your Boaz show up for you to be able to get it. Hallelujah. Amen. You don't need somebody to rescue you. The kingdom of God is not, you are not what's the little lady up in the tower trying to let down your hair so somebody can come up and get you. You are not Rapunzel. You are a woman of God. Did you say we, Rapunzel? And God created, God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Look at verse 29. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed which is upon the face of the earth, of all the earth and every tree in which is the fruit of a tree-yielding seed and to you it shall be for meat. Whose Bible says meat? That word meat means provision. So how do I create wealth? All right, hold on. We keep going. We keep going. It says, in the beginning, God took the fruit and put it in the seed. He says, and if you want the fruit, you got to have what? He says, and if you take the seed and you plant the seed, what will you get? Fruit. Now, this is how the kingdom of God works. Go to Genesis 8 and 22. Now, when somebody get that, 
You ought to start reading it. You didn't have to wait on nobody. Go ahead. While the earth remains, seed, time, and harvest. Tell your neighbor, say, in the kingdom of God, we create wealth with our seed. We create wealth with our seed. Now, the first seed you need is word seed. Now, you have to study this when you get home because I got to go somewhere. I can't teach all this today. But Matthew 13 and Mark 4, it says this. It says, the sower soweth the word. So, first of all, I got to know that God's kingdom operates by seed. He says, I got to sow that word in my heart so when God starts dealing with me about my money seed, then I don't fight God about my money seed because I get that God in the kingdom, we operate off seed time and harvest, not buying and selling. Say the world operates off buying and selling. We operate off seed time and harvest. Why is this important? Because in buying and selling, buying and selling always has to put somebody to a disadvantage for somebody else to have the advantage. So I sell you a car for more than it's really worth because I need to make a profit. But when I sow, I open up heaven over my life so that this same car that somebody else paid this price for, I don't pay this price for it. Because I have an expectation that I've gotten God, I've given God access. Why is sowing so important? Because God's kingdom is where? In heaven. And I live where? Right. So when I sow my seed, I give God legal access to bring heaven into my life. That's why I have to sow my seed, because my seed gives God legal access to bring heaven into my life, to establish heaven in my life. That's why I don't have to be worried about a recession, because my kingdom is a heavenly kingdom. In heaven, there is no recession. In uh, an angel CNN, ain't nobody talking about how they're cutting back. They're just talking about how they're expanding and how there's more than enough for everybody. Hallelujah. Glory to God. We're going to keep on, keep on, keep on. Now, in Deuteronomy 8, it says, it says the Lord has given us power to create wealth. He's blessed us to create wealth so that we may do what? Establish his kingdom, establish his covenant. I know people in the body of Christ get so worked up about the word church, but if you think about it, Jesus said church very few times. He referred to the church very few times. He referred to the kingdom um, seven or eight more times than he referred to the church because God wasn't coming to establish a church. He was coming to establish a new system of government. That's why he said repent, repent. That don't mean be sorry and lay down and cry and snot all over the place. It means to change your way of thinking. It says you were headed in this direction. Now go in another direction. Follow my kingdom so I can add to your life what it is that you need. Hallelujah. How many of you know that a kingdom is always that the condition of the people represent the king. Tell your neighbor, say, God needs you wealthy. Now, see, you didn't say that with any, any. God needs you wealthy. I know you've been taught that God needs you poor. Well, if God needs you poor, then that's the indication that the king is poor. God needs you wealthy. Why? So you can establish his covenant in the earth. Now, I know that people like to say this, and they like to put this on it so you can feel better about wealth, but let's just expose it for what it is. People like to say, you need money so that you can spread the gospel into Africa. And take your neighbor and say, that's true. But you need money so you can spread the gospel on your street. 
You need money so you can spread the gospel on your street. And let's just be real about it. Come on. Who wants to serve a God? You're trying to get somebody who don't know God. Come on over here. Be with Jesus. Jesus is so great. Your car only run on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. You're carrying jumper cables. you got to ask everybody in your job to give you a boost. Nobody wants to go to lunch at the time you're going because they know you're going to need a boost again. you got tape over your windows and you're covering up your car, holding it together with Jesus stickers. You're robbing Peter to pay Paul. You're telling your family they need to tithe, but you're borrowing money from them. Get your expectation up. That is not how you were created to live. People come over to your house, talking about you blessed and highly favored. Why you got them candles on in the daytime? You ain't got no lights on. That ain't no blessing. We over at your house, it's 90 degrees, and you won't turn the air on because you're concerned about the electric bill. That ain't no blessing. Team neighbors say, God has more. That enough. Amen. Now let's go to Psalms 35 and 27. Now, because I want you to really understand this. So God says, I've given you the power to create wealth so that you can establish my covenant. So we have two ways we can violate the will of God. If I get wealth and I don't use it to establish the covenant, I'm violating. But if I don't get wealth, I'm violating. If I get wealth and I don't use it to advance the kingdom, I am violating. But if I don't get wealth, I am violating. You don't believe me? Go to Psalms 35, verse 27. Hallelujah. I hope y'all learned something today because I am preaching myself happy now. I hope you're making a decision to live behind, leave behind that loaded bar way of living, waiting on your paycheck to come in. You happy on Friday when you get paid, you go out and splurge. Right, you sad on Monday. You ain't even got enough gas to get to work. That ain't God beat you. I'm going to have to have you come up here and preach, man. <laughs> now, I mean, come on. Paul said this. He said, I've learned to be content in all things. But in reality, maybe you can be content when you poor, but it sure is better to have more than enough. I mean, I still love God if I ain't got no money, but it ain't it better to have more? Have you ever wanted to do something, but you couldn't do it just because you didn't have money? I'm telling you, you got to get your faith up. We just go talk about it. Lord, we've been trying to get projectors so long in this church that the projectors we originally wanted, they ain't even the best ones no more. But you got to get your faith up and start having an expectation that when pastor come in and say, we need projectors, you just want to know how much they cost. We passing out these envelopes every week trying to collect enough money for it. You need to be like, how much are they? I got you. We've been to churches, got building funds for 25 years. And you say, well, they just got a building fund for 25 years, but you ain't giving but $25. What you going to build with your $25? But if you don't get your expectation up, you'll live in this place and think that that's okay. Say the kingdom is better than that. Psalm 35, 27. When you have it, say amen. Read it out loud. Ready, read. 
He says, let them shout for joy. Hallelujah. He said, but wait a minute, there's a condition. These are only the people that should say hallelujah. Those who favor my righteous cause. Well, what's his righteous cause? He told you in Deuteronomy 8 to establish his covenant in the earth. He said, because if your desire is to establish my covenant in the earth, I take pleasure in your prosperity. He said, if you're thinking about what I'm thinking about, then I take pleasure in your prosperity. He says, and the great thing about being a water hose, baby, is that if you're a water hose, you got to get wet. That's why the Bible says, more blessed to give than to receive. Because, baby, if I could give it, I had to have it. You want to get to the point that you ain't trying to be the one sitting around waiting on somebody to send you something in the mail. You want to be the one sending something in the mail. He says, let them favor my righteous cause who takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. Now, when I used to talk about that scripture, I used to say if he takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servants, how much more does he take pleasure in the prosperity of his sons? But I want to change that. Because Galatians 4 tells us that though you be a son, if you're still a kid, you live like a slave. So in essence, what he said is this. He said, there are lots and sons and daughters of God. But everybody who's a son and daughter of God is not a servant. He said, and only the people who are servants do I take pleasure in their prosperity. Well, let me give you an example of that. Why? Because if you're just a son, if anybody's ever had a foolish kid, I I use this example, I think, in Bible study on either Wednesday or Thursday night, and I told him this. I said, Paris Hilton's grandfather has come out publicly and talked about how disappointed he is with her behavior. He has talked about reducing the amount of the inheritance that he is going to leave for her because he is so disappointed with her behavior. Because even though she's an heir, she's still a child. But I guarantee you if Paris got up tomorrow and said, you know what? The Hilton Hotels, that's why we're rich. I'm willing to go to the Hilton Hotel and even if I have to work as a cashier, a front desk check-in, a bellhop or whatever, I'll do it. But guess what? Now her grandfather who's thinking about cutting her off would be thinking about increasing her because she's showing that she is connected to the family vision. Just because you a son don't mean you connected with the family vision. We know that you're connected to the family vision based on your checkbook. No, 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 no. I'm preaching better than you saying amen. I know whether you're connected to the family vision when I look at your checkbook. Your checkbook reveals whether you're connected to kingdom purpose or not. He says, and I take pleasure in those who will do with their money what I tell them to do. Oh, I love Jesus. Here you come with that $5 offering again. You don't love Jesus. You spend more than $5 to go to McDonald's now, baby. Supersize them fries and see. A kid's meal costs $3.89. You bring the Lord $5. I love you, Jesus. You lying to yourself, baby. All right, I'm going to go because they've been trying to explain this. Let's go to 2 Corinthians. They've been trying to explain this. Apostle Paul, he spent so much time explaining this, trying to get them to understand. Can you take a little more? Say, I'm not going to be broke no more. Now, let me tell you now, because I just want people to understand this. You can Shaba, Shuka, Barack, Toyota, Lexus, all of you want to spit on it, lay down here. We can cover you in oil, but if you don't follow the principles of the kingdom of God, you will not see increase. Somebody say amen. 
You got to follow the principles even when it's difficult. Especially when it's difficult. You, you got to tithe not when it's comfortable, but when you feel like you can't. Everybody got to pass that test. Everybody got to pass. Tell your neighbor, say, everybody must pass the tithing test. And let me tell you why. Because you ain't even a giver until you have tithe. If you don't tithe and you bring $50 up here today, baby, you're not a giver. The tithe belongs to God. Now, let me tell you this. I know, I know, I know we're not under the law no more. But a couple things. Number one, tithing was established before there was law. In fact, it was established with um, Cain and Abel. It had to be. Otherwise, how could one of those gifts be acceptable and the other one not be acceptable? Now, they both gave something, but one of them didn't give what God asked for. I know that God is love, and I know that God ain't mad no more. But let me tell you what else I know. If you're not willing and obedient, you won't eat the good of the land. Now, that's what I know. So you can look up all the scriptures and say, tithing's under the Old Testament. All I know. Is that in the Bible, Jesus said to them, he says, if you still tithe, you ought to at least be able to be nice to people. He said to the Hebrews, I mean, to the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they had sense enough to tithe. He didn't have nothing else good to say to them except you can tithe. You mean, you can tanker us, but you got sense enough to tithe. I love God, but I'm paying my dues. It ain't a scripture in this book to tell you you ought to pay dues. Not one. I don't care how long your big mama, your grandma, your great great grandma. I don't care if they paying due. The Bible say bring your tithe. Tithe is ten percent. It is ten percent off the gross, not your net. The only reason you have a net is because the government don't trust you. The Bible says give a tenth off of all of your increase. You may not like it, but it's right. Now, before you can ever be a giver, you got to be a tither. Say, I must be a tither before I'm a sower. Now, here's the problem then. Because if I'm not a tither, but I'm getting, oh, let me just show you. 2 Corinthians 8. All right, I'm going to read out the Amplified. You ready? Let's go. It says, we want to tell you further, brethren, about the grace, the favor, and spiritual blessing of God, which has been evident in the churches of Macedonia. Somebody need to remember, it's the church of Macedonia. We'll see them again. Arousing in them the desire to give alms. So the first thing that we can see here is that the grace of God will cause you to have a desire to give. The grace of God in your life will cause you to want to be a blessing to somebody else. It says, for in the midst of an ordeal of severe tribulation, their abundance of joy and their depth of poverty together have overflowed in wealth of lavish generosity on their part. Let, can, let me just tell you what happened. The Macedonian church was the poorest church. Tell your neighbor, say they were the poorest church. And they were the poorest church because that was the church that they were in when Paul got released, Paul and Silas, and the jailer got saved. Well, when the jailer got saved, he lost his job, and he became a pastor in that church. So they're the poorest church. Now, now, and the people that he led to Christ was the unemployed jailers that got fired with him and the people that was in jail. So tell your neighbor, say they were poor. But what happened is it says that it, they were poor, but they were so appreciative of what Paul had done for them that the grace that they had toward God saving them caused them to give. 
And the Bible says that that grace that caused them to give caused them to give their way out of poverty. So they started and they were broke. But they kept on giving and they ended up not being broke anymore. Now, Paul is talking to the church of Corinthians, say the church of Corinthians. Now, the church of Corinthians, they was deep. The church of Corinthians had 100,000 teachers. The church of Corinthians had so many gifts that they thought about which gifts to use. But Paul is talking to them about the church in Macedonia. He says, now this church in Macedonia, he said, this is who you need to watch. Because this church of Macedonia, they're the one that used their giving to get out of their situation. They understood seed, time, and harvest. They may not be speaking in tongues like you. They may not be interpreting, but they get that they can give their way out of a situation. And let me tell you about them. They were broke, but they weren't disgusted because they knew if they could sow a seed, it would meet their need. So he says to them, he says, they gave out of, he says, for I can bear witness, they gave according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability. They gave a abundance, say beyond their ability. They gave a beyond their ability, and they did it voluntarily. Now, if you flip over in chapter 9, he's going to say, don't give under compulsion because you don't get no benefit for giving under compulsion. It says that these people were so poor, they couldn't pay attention. But when they got anything in their hand, they broke it off and they gave it to the kingdom of God. And because they gave to the kingdom of God, they gave their way out of their poverty. Why are you still trying to plan your way out of your poverty when you ought to be giving your way out of your poverty? He says this, he says, verse 4, I love this. It says, begging us most insistently for the favor and the fellowship of contributing to this ministration for the relief and the support of the saints in Jerusalem. Now, here they are, poor, but they begging to give. They're begging to give because they don't just, because I said this the other day. I said, here's the problem in the body of Christ. Most people give. Not for a living. Let me give you an example. If you're a farmer and you farm for a living, you farm every day. But if you, if you roll you a couple little rolls in your backyard, plant you some tomatoes and some cucumbers, if they don't come up, you'll still go to Walmart and get you some. And that's how most people give. Most people give and they say, you know what, I'm going to give, but if seed time and harvest don't really work, I'll give me another job. If seed time and harvest don't really work, I'll invest in this right here. It says, but they understood, they were farmers. They understood that if God didn't bless them, they didn't have no way out. It says, so they begged for an opportunity to give. Now, I imagine what that was like, because you got to understand that Paul already knew how to live by seed time and harvest. So Paul got somebody who got less than him. And they're begging to take his seat to, for him to receive their seed. And everything in him wants to say, you need to keep this seed. You need, to, you need this more than I do. But he understands. How do we know he understands it? Because if you read in 2 Corinthians, you'll find out that he apologizes to the Corinthian church for not teaching them seed, time, and harvest. He repented to them for not teaching them how to sow. So they're begging to give, even though it looks like they have nothing to give. And then they end up giving their way out, and they become the example for the rest of the churches that Paul is talking to about what your response ought to be in a crisis situation. He said they were in the midst of a great tribulation. And in the midst of a great tribulation, they didn't say, let me watch Dr. Phil, let me watch Oprah, let me see what Susie Orr I'm talking about. They said, somebody get me a seed. Because if I can sow a seed, I can turn this thing around. Isn't that God? 
God looked down and saw chaos in the earth, seeing everywhere. God said, what can I do to turn this around? He said, give me a seed, because if I can plant a seed, I can produce a harvest. Then in verse 5, it says, nor was this gift of theirs merely the contribution. So they didn't just give their money. But first they gave themselves to the Lord and to us as his agents by the will of God. I love this part right here. Entirely disregarding their personal interests. They gave as much as they possibly could, having put themselves at our disposal to be directed by the Holy Spirit. Now let me tell you something, because I know that religious spirit begins to rise up and says, how I'm going to give to you. But it wasn't that they gave to Paul. They gave to the kingdom, and God gave the harvest. Well, Pastor Sean, I can't afford to give. Well, how's what you doing working? I can't afford to give. Well, how's what you doing working? You can't afford not to give. You can't afford in this season that we live in, or any season, but you can't afford in the midst of recession not to have heaven standing smack dab in the center of your finances. You can't afford not to. You need heaven in your resources. Hallelujah. No, 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 no. Now let's flip over to chapter 9. In chapter 9, this is the chapter that we always use. Now I'm coming to a close now. I'm, I'm, we, coming, we coming to a close. In, in, Genesis, in 2 Corinthians 9, now he's still writing this letter to them. He's still talking to the Corinthian church. He's saying, guys, you guys are extremely intelligent, but you don't get the basics. The kingdom is established by seed, time, and harvest. So then what he begins to talk to them about, he says, remember this, verse 6, he who sows sparingly and grudgingly will also reap sparingly and grudgingly, and he who sows generously that blessings may come to someone will also reap generously and with blessings. Well, if you go back, that takes you back to Psalms 35 and 27, and it takes you back to Deuteronomy 8 and 18. He says that he takes pleasure in those who care about expanding his kingdom. He takes pleasure in those who are willing to be used as a distribution center. Say, I want to be a distribution center. Hallelujah. He says, now, if you give sparingly. Now, here's the other thing that I said to them that I think you need to think about. Now, sparingly may not just mean that your amount is small. It can mean the time frame in which you give. Now, I'm going to say this to you, and you ain't going to like this, but if you just give on Monday, I mean, if you just, get a, if you just give on Sunday because that's the only time you come to church, you're not a giver. If you just give on Sunday and Wednesday, you gave twice. You're not a giver. What's the mark of a giver? A giver gets up saying, Lord, who can I be a blessing to today? Lord, who can I be a blessing to today? He says, and if you sow it out, now who in here is looking to receive from God every day? Psalm 68 and 19 says he daily loads us with benefits. Maybe you can't make a withdrawal because you give so sparingly. Now the Bible says you can give to such a degree it says that your harvest ought to be overtaking your soul. It says that you ought to give to such a measure that when you give today, the harvest that's coming in your pocket is not coming off of what you gave today. It's coming off of what you gave before. Well, now, what I say to you is this. The Bible says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. So if I want to receive something every day, what do I need to do? All right, it says, don't be, don't be um, a sparingly giver. It says, let each one give as he is made up in his own mind and purpose in his heart, not reluctantly or sorrowfully or under compulsion. For God loves, oh, I love this. It says, God loves. 
Somebody say loves. God loves, takes pleasure in you, prizes above other things, and is unwilling to abandon or to do without a cheerful, joyous, prompt-to-do giver whose heart is in his giver. Tell your neighbor, say, you can make yourself indispensable to God. All right, say lot. God of the universe, you can make yourself indispensable to God with your sowing. No, 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 you don't understand what I'm saying. If you're a giver, cancer can attack your body. God say, no, she can't die because she a distribution center. I command cancer to leave her body. Sickness try to come over your mind and make you crazy. God say, oh, no, I'm unwilling to do without her. She is a quick, prompt-to-do giver whose heart is in her giving. You can make yourself indispensable to God. You driving down the highway. The devil done set a trap for you. Want to send you into a ditch. But angels put your car back on the ground. God said, no, no, no. She can't leave here yet. She's prompt to do giver. I can make myself indispensable to God. Well, well, Pastor John, how do I make myself indispensable to God? Every time I have an opportunity to give and I take it. Every time I have an opportunity to give and I take it. Here's what people don't understand. This sidebar, this is for free. Everybody who's become proficient in giving had to go through the same temptation you had, whether to take something for themselves or whether to give it. All right? Everybody in here who's passed the tithing test, and there was a time when it would have been easy for you to take the tithe, but you just had to say, not this time, I'm going to give it anyway. Let me see your hand. Everybody done had a bill they could pay. Everybody done had somewhere they wanted to go. Everybody who's a giver has had to make a choice. Maybe to it was your vacation money and the Lord said, I need you to give it. And you give it and you don't even complain. God sees that. And God says, when you do that, you make yourself indispensable to me. He says, and here's the promise that belongs to an indispensable giving. He says, and God is able to make all grace. Oh, somebody shout all grace. See, sometimes you don't need money. Sometimes you need favor. He said, but when you are quick, prompt to do giver, I'll make favor abound to your account. They said no. They overlooked you. They say you're not qualified. But I say I need you in that job. He said, oh, grace, my God, and earth every favor. I love it in Amplified so people couldn't be deep. He said an earthly blessing. An earthly blessing. Because I don't need no, no payment of gold in my driveway. You put some gold in my driveway, I'm going to spend it. I'll walk on gold when I get to heaven. Right now, I, I need gold for a method of exchange. Put a big pearl up on my gate. See what happened to it. Right. So earthly blessing. Come to you in abundance. So that you may always and under all circumstances and whatever the need be self-sufficient, 
possessing enough to require no aid or support and furnished in abundance for every good work and charitable donation. Now see, somebody ought to shout about that. I'm going to keep preaching because I want your faith to come. He says that if you will be a giver, he says, I will make all grace come to you so that you can respond to every good work. Well, well, let's define what a good work is. Is helping somebody go to Africa a good work? Is going on a vacation a good work? Is getting your weave done a good work? You better know it is now. Is buying Bibles for somebody a good work? See, you've been trying to be too deep. God care about Africa, but God care about you. And to all my sisters who don't need a relaxer, you won't appreciate that. But I know for a fact that God thinks it's a good work when I get a relaxer. I know for a fact that God is pleased when I get a relaxer. How am I be out trying to preach the gospel looking like um little bo peep out the head? Trying to tell somebody God love them and a good daddy and my hair nappy look like I done stuck my finger in an electric socket. Talking about Jesus love. How I'm going to tell you that God will supply for you in my car raggedy? Ain't no food in my house. You come to my house, open the refrigerator. We got half a gallon of milk and an old orange. Now, I know you don't like it, but I'm a preacher to that religious spirit. Come out for you. You're a king's kid. You ought not be broke. I am challenging you. Something on the inside of you ought to be going off. They turn around watching cribs. When they see cribs, they ought to see you. That ought to be your house. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Who you think he made a bitly for? He ain't make a bitly for no heathen that I have sex in the back of it. He made it for a saint of God. I don't want a Bentley. Great. Buy a Camry and get the rest of the money away. But don't drive a Camry because that's all you can afford. Don't drive a hybrid because you can't afford gas. I'm, uh, all right, let's go to Galate. Uh, say, I'm furnished for every good work. Go to Galatians 6. I'm trying to tell you, people try to act all deep like we don't need to talk about money. Most of your problems is about money. You done had a money challenge this week. Trying to figure out which thing you're going to be able to do this week. Your kids want to do activities. You can't sign your kids up for activities because you ain't got the money. Maybe your kid's supposed to be a dancer. Supposed to lead people to Christ through their dance, but you can't afford the dance lessons.
got to change your mentality. The kingdom is not here to take sides. The kingdom is here to take over. We're not here to decide which denomination is right. We're here to take over. Something ought to be going off on the inside of you, too, because I'm telling you right now, let somebody come in here and prove with a DNA test that you are the heir of somebody who's wealthy. Let them come in right now and be like, oh, you're really a Walton, or you're really so-and-so, or you really so-and-so kid. You ain't going to be sitting back all quiet. You going to tell me, I'm finna get my money. I said the other day, I said, kids inherently know that their father should take care of them, even if your daddy wasn't in your life all the time. When you saw him, you was like, give me some money. Let me get $5 from you. Because you were born knowing that your father should take care of you. You are born knowing that your heavenly father should provide for you. Now, even look, kids got sense enough to get mad if somebody come over their house and try to take all their toys. But people taking your stuff left and right. And you sit back talking about kumbaya, we'll understand it better by and by. That don't even make sense. Say, I have an inheritance, and it includes wealth. You might as well just uncover it. Galatians 6. Let's go to Galatians 6 and 6. Ooh, all right, all right, all right. Say, increase. Now, look at here. Now, the Macedonian church, he didn't talk to the Macedonian church in Corinthians. He done told them you need to let them be your mob. You need to be givers. Now let's go over here to the church in Galatians. Let's see what he says to them. Verse 6. It's chapter 6, verse 6. You got it? And I want to say this to you. If you a kid, you don't have to wait till you're an adult for this to work. The Bible says this worked for everybody, but I can give you a specific incident where it worked. Jesus fed 5,000 men. They say it was actually 20,000 people, but the boy who gave the seed was just a kid. He brought in one basket, but he left with 12. You don't have to wait till you're an adult. You need to get to the point that you, if your mama tell you no for some shoes, you need to learn how to sew for you some shoes. If your mama tell you no for some allowance, you need to learn how to sew for you an allowance. Ain't nothing in here that say you got to wait till you're 18 for this to work for you. Amen. Galatians 6. It says, let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of his flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap at life everlasting. Nine, and let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. He said, look, you got two kingdoms in front of you. He said, if you sow to your flesh and give what you think you can and tip God and don't be thinking about giving every day because you're so busy thinking about who can hook you up. He said, if you sow to your flesh, you're going to reap corruption. He said, but if you sow to the spirit, the kingdom of God, you are going to reap life everlasting. Life everlasting is Zoe life. It's the abundant life that we talked about in John 10 and 10. He says, you will reap the uncommon over and above, um, super um, over the top life. That's what you will reap. Hallelujah. Now, understand what he's saying to him. He's saying, you got to be a giver. Tell your neighbor, say, I can't just shout. 
I got to give too. Say, I can't just fast. I got to give too. Now, this is two times he's told him this, and let me tell you why he said it. Let's go to Philippians 4. Hallelujah. Philippians 4. Now, we go look at verse 19, and somebody go tell me they done heard this verse before. Somebody go tell me they even quoted this verse before. Who read Philippians 4.19? What did it say? Who, who shall supply? My God. But who, said, who was saying this? Paul. He said, my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. Now, who's ever confessed that verse before? Well, let me go back up in here so you can see whether this promise actually applies to you or not. It says in verse 14, it says, But it was right and commendable and noble of you to contribute for my needs and to share my difficulties with me. In the King James, it says, Notwithstanding you have done well that you did communicate with my affliction. Now, we just read in Galatians 6, it said that you ought to communicate to whoever's teaching the word to you, right? Now, here's a free public service announcement. I am not trying to get you to give money to Fellowship of Champions. You need to obey God. But what I told them in Bible study is this. If you watch Joyce Meyer every day, and Joyce Meyer, bless your life, and you don't even send Joyce Meyer $5, you don't qualify for what's about to come in this promise right here. All right? Let's keep going. He says, and you Philippians yourself well know that in the early days of the gospel, now he's talking to the Philippian church, which is in Macedonia. He says that I left Macedonia, no church assembly entered into a partnership with me and opened up a debit and credit account in giving and receiving except you and you only. Now you need to understand that when you give over and above your tithe, you open up a debit and credit account with heaven. He says, but no church, that's why he was talking to the church in Corinthians, that's why he was talking to the church in Galatians. He said, because no church but you opened up this account in giving and receiving, but you only. He says, all right, for even in Thessalonica, you sent me contributions for my needs, not only once, but a second time. Verse 17. He says, now I'm telling you this, not because I'm trying to get your money. I'm telling you this because I do seek and am eager for the fruit which increases to your credit, the harvest of blessing that is accumulating in your account. He says, now one, in Genesis 1, what did we learn? Your fruit is contained where? In your seed. He says, I'm not asking you to give so I can get money from you because I live off my giving just like you. And don't get it twisted. If you don't give to me, somebody will because I live off of my giving. He says, I desire that you would give so that the fruit would increase in your account so that when you need to make a withdrawal, you have something to withdraw. Then he goes on to say, he says, but I have your full payment and more, and I have everything I need and am amply supplied. Now that I have received from Aphrodite the gifts you sent me, they are the fragrant odor of an offering and sacrifice which God welcomes and in which he delights. Now that's what he told him in Corinthians, right? What God does when you give. Now look what he says, and my God will liberally supply to the full your every need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. But if I don't have a debit and credit account, I, can't access, I cannot access riches from heaven. He says, here's how it works. I bring my seed because that's what God asked me to do. When I bring my seed, I love, I think somebody, Walter said this, 
in Bible study the other day that if you set the money on fire, if I send my money to a ministry and they set it on fire, all that matters is that I did what God told me to do. Set it on, have a bonfire with it, baby, because I don't get paid because you had a bonfire. It ain't based on what you do with it. It's based on what I do with it. He says, so, so you give the money. He says, and when you give in obedience to God, he says, there's an account with your name on it. Now, lots of people go into prayer and they try to make a demand, but you making a demand. The Bible says that you, uh, you receive whatever you sow. He says, if you ain't, if you ain't sold nothing, you do realize that that is why God had to give Jesus. In order to get sons. It's the principle that even God doesn't violate. He says, if I want sons, I gotta sow a son. So if I want harvest, I gotta sow and help someone else get their harvest. He said, now when I sow, he says, there is a heavenly account that is open over my life. Now what Paul said to them, cause listen to what he said to them before. He says, I have everything I need. He says, and because you have connected with me in partnership, the God that gave me everything I need, he'll meet your needs too. So take your neighbor and say, so my job doesn't determine my harvest. My seed determines my harvest. So tell somebody else, say, so if you don't like your level of living, change your level of giving. You don't like your level of living. Maybe you think you live good, but you need, to live, you need more. Then you know what you need to do? You need to sow more. Hallelujah. All right, all right, all right. Galatians 6, and thir- I mean, no, no, Luke 6 and 38. It's the principle of the kingdom. And you ought to be excited about it because if you think about it, anybody in here ever made out a budget and it wasn't enough? Can you just be truthful? Anybody ever got a bonus but it still wasn't enough? Tell your neighbor, say, there's a better way. Oh, my goodness. Oh, no, I forgot. I almost forgot to tell you this. Say, you broke right now. And you don't have no money to give right now. Guess what you can do? You can plant a word seed to produce a money seed. Because I forgot in 2 Corinthians because I got excited because he said he gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So I don't have any money right now. So I go to the Bible and I say, you said in your word that you give me seed and bread. So now when you give me seed, now I got to take a piece of that seed and I got to eat some of it because I need to eat. But I got to take some of it and I got to stick it back in the ground because my seed is for my future. My bread is for today. And if I eat all of my bread today, I don't have no seed for the tomorrow. So if I don't have a dime today, I can start sowing this word and telling them, saying, God will give you an opportunity. Here's how God responds to need. I want you to understand this. God does not shower down money out of heaven. God don't shower down cars. He don't drop houses. Aren't you glad? God says, when you have a need, sow a seed. He says, you sow a seed, I'll give you instruction. And your instruction is how you get your harvest. Some people don't sow seed, but they try to follow instruction. Some people sow seed, but they don't follow instruction. But until you add them together, you still don't get the harvest. But the great thing about it is, is that seed never dies. 
They just talked about how they found some seed that was in somebody's tomb. Whose tomb? You know, somebody's tomb in, in, in Egypt. And they took that seed out and they planted it in the ground. And guess what happened? So you got seed in the ground right now. And maybe you haven't always followed all of the instructions that God told you to follow. But guess what, baby? Your seed not dead. All you got to do is water it with some obedience and water it with some confession and water it with some faithfulness. And you'll get a harvest. This concludes our message. Thank you for supporting Fellowship of Champions Church International. To order other products or for partnership information and other resources, visit us at championsforlife.org. Or write to us at 1105 Deer Street, Conway, Arkansas, 72032. Thank you for listening and continue with us as we build Champions for Life.